Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you are listening. What is your story? So today is going to be episode three of the Reaching Your Peak podcast. And on today's episode, I have a very, very special guest with me, Keith Russell. So for anyone who doesn't know Keith, Keith has went through some of the toughest, I personally, I think some of the toughest challenges anyone can go through in life. From dealing with burying a child to having a child pass at eight years old to what he allowed that child to experience in them eight years of her life. And to some of the stuff he has achieved from running from Dublin to Belfast in less than 24 hours, from running 24 hours non-stop in a one-mile loop. The man is just incredible from what he's done, what he's achieved, and who he is and the way he thinks about his life and what he's allowed others to experience through what he has went through as well. So I'm not going to get into too much more and... For this one, try completely zone out of whatever you're doing because I can guarantee you this will absolutely blow your mind because I remember just sitting here with Key and I was like to him at the end, I was like, man, I just want to run a marathon there or something. Like He's just an absolute inspiration and I think he's an incredible human being that we could all take something from. If you could take one little snippet from who he is and the way he thinks, we live a much better life. So... Without further ado, here is Keith and enjoy the podcast. So today we have Keith Russell here and Keith is basically just going to describe his story from where he started from to what he went through, what he's experienced and some insane stuff he's done this year, which, which you'll soon find out. But uh, I'm just going to let Keith take it away, and Keith, if you just, I suppose, give a little bit of background about who you are, and yeah, just so people get to know you more, I suppose. Um, yeah, well, look, I'm Keith. I've, um, I suppose I'm Keith on Facebook, and also Team Milan on Facebook as well. But I would have been a footballer, um, Gaelic, soccer, or loved all sorts of sports, and I would have had a good natural ability in all types of sports, but I was never committed to any of them. And I was like... Um, I was smoking years ago, drinking, and just had no real interest in, in training or anything like that, but I still played the matches, you know. Um, but I suppose my life sort of changed when we had, a, we had a daughter, my wife was pregnant with twin girls. So one of the girls was Isabel, she passed away before birth, so she was stillborn. The second girl was Alana. She was, uh, they were born nine weeks premature. Um, so Alana was in the high dependency unit then for about, eight weeks, I think we got out just before Christmas in 20, 2009 was when they were born, fourth December. So Lana was in, she was in the hospital and we got her, got her out of the hospital in January. We were told that she had uh, suspected cerebral palsy. Um, didn't know how bad it was, we wouldn't know how bad it was until she missed all her, her miles, milestones and stuff like that, you know. So we, we had to get MRI tests done and stuff like that, so it confirmed anyway that she had she had cerebral palsy, so it was spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy is what she had, um, but she, so basically she had no use of her arms, her legs, she couldn't talk, she couldn't walk, she couldn't, she couldn't do anything, she was, she was basically confined to a wheelchair. Um, so look, life got very, very tough from that point on, she wouldn't sleep, I think it was about five years before she even slept a night, my wife would have to sit up all night with her. 
um, at weekends I'd take over so we didn't really get much time but all the while I was trying to hold down a job she was trying to hold down a job um, but eventually Ruth became Alana's full time carer um, still a, a, a tough task to take on you know so she she's busy during the day she had to sort out all Alana's medication and look trying to get stuff off health board or anything like that or anything you needed was just a constant battle from the time you got up in the morning to the time you went to bed at night was a battle to, to get anything so look it was just it was tough going it was it was more just trying to trying to manage that end of it all the while you're grieving a child that you're after burying and then you're, you're trying to come to terms with what has been thrown at you so as time went on Alana got bigger we were carrying Alana up and down the stairs uh, to, to, to bed but she was getting bigger so it was getting harder for Ruth to carry her up and me yeah. to carry her up um, so we had to look at extending our house for basically make a wheelchair accessible for her because our house is like 100 years old it's yeah. it by in no means wheelchair accessible yeah. so this is where we had to start fundraising we were basically told to um, if we wanted to get it done it was going to cost about I think it cost about 100,000 euro to get our house up to a standard that Alana could live in or that we could keep her at home we did go everywhere to try and get help um, we went to Tulsa and we were told the fact that we were looking that we were willing to keep our child at home. There was nothing they could do for us. We were parents crying out for help and no one could help us. All they could say was, we can advise you just to start fundraising to get the money you need to, to do this house for Alana. Basically, that's what we did. We started fundraising. Now, when you, when you come to these things, you have to get plans done and all this. So we actually had neighbours beside us that objected to the planning and stuff like that. They knew the conditions that Alana was living in, but because it didn't suit them or wasn't on their doorstep, they didn't want to know and they just objected to everything. So they held, held up our, our building for about three years. We were still fundraising at the time, so um, we were eligible to get 30,000 euro off the county council for the bill, but that's the maximum that we could get. So we had to raise another 70,000 euro don't even ask me how we got there. <laughs> We'd done so many things, runs and bag packs and cycles and you name it, we probably done it. But to get to that point that we were able to move out of our house to start the building was just, it was brilliant. So it was, it was just a matter of move out of the house, get it done and move back in. Um, it was supposed to take six months. It ended up taking about 18 months before we, we moved back in. So when we moved back in then, we were back in the house, we moved back in on the 1st of December and Alana passed away on the 13th of December. So she basically lived 13 days in that house. Um, so that's basically an overview of the start of our life with Alana and to basically the end of her life. But um, say rewinding it back a little bit. So after the fundraising that we had done for our house, we wanted to give back to another charity another organization whatever whatever you want to what do you want to put on it um like alana went to the meadows uh, special care unit it's actually on the trim road in navin so she went there for overnight respite and it was one night one night a month so the car the, the bus that they had say to bring the kids to school and bring them back to the house and all that sort of thing we uh it was about 14 years old and it was falling apart so we approached them and we says right we want to do something for you. What, what is it? What do you want? Like so, they were saying, "Oh, the bus is in 
great need of an upgrade. And I was thinking, right, okay, we'll see what we can do. We were talking to Claire, Claire Keane, she's the manager out in that unit. And she says, uh, she says, now Keith, she says, we fundraised for a kitchen and it took us four years. She says, do you think you're going to get money for the bus like in a short amount of time? Um, ben White, good, very good friend of mine, um, we says, yeah, 100%, yeah. And she was like, are you really sure? And we were just going, Claire, you don't know us at all then because we say we'll do it, we are going to do it. Um, and our plan was to do it within that year, yeah. um, within the 12 months. So, like, the plan was that I was going to start running with Alana, um, and the aim was to do Dublin City Marathon. So we said we were going to start running Dublin City Marathon. Um, so what I did was Ben ran a half marathon out in that loan. Uh, it was the very first half marathon, and it was actually for for us for when we were fundraising for the house. Um, so when I went out there, I seen one of these running chairs, and I was looking, going, "This, that's what I want to do. That's." be something that I could get Alana out and um, so this is where it all sort of stemmed from um, like I used to be out walking all hours at night with her just to try and get her to settle down because she wouldn't sleep just to just to try and get give a break to the kids and root in the house and stuff like that so look we, we done started off doing the park run just went up the park run and what I used to do was just Alana's day-to-day wheelchair was on four wheels just tilt it back on its back too and just do the park run where I do 5k in the park um, and she loved it she loved the attention more so I think um, she just she just loved the different sounds different you know, you know all the different lights she couldn't really see but you know she could see sort of shadows yeah and different people talking and shouting and calling her and stuff like that and she loved all that loved all the attention um, so the plan was then right we have to get a proper running chair because I wasn't going to be able to sustain <laughs> pushing it back on. Um, so I had aimed to do a 10K in the Phoenix Park and I got in contact with another uh, another crowd, Team James, and they had a spare running chair going that was three wheels. So I said that suit her down to the ground. Um, so I actually picked it up that morning before I went to the Phoenix Park to do my first 10K with her. Um, it was actually my first 10K as well. <laughs> so I was doing it all in one go. Um, so we picked that up and we went and done that 10k and I died a death. <laughs> I think I think I ended up doing it in about 48 minutes and I I suffered badly, very badly. Um, but again, it was it was great experience, but I wasn't going to let that suffering uh, hinder me in what we wanted to do. Um, as time went on, that chair didn't really suit her because when she was pushing, she was pushing sideways and she was going to pop her hip out. Um, so I had to look at getting an alternative chair that suited her um, and that she was safe in because as far as I was concerned, her safety was most important to me than anything. And as long as she was comfortable, I was happy with that. We came across a crowd and her day-to-day wheelchair, um, the seat clipped off it and sat into this running chair. So it was great. So exactly what she needed, it was her chair just on a different frame. You know, so it was, it was absolutely perfect. These, her chair was moulded to suit her. So she was never in any harm. She was never going to get hurt or she was, she was used to fall asleep. So she was great. Like, <laughs> But um, I actually got, um, I got a company then to sponsor me that chair. I think I worked out with 1,600 euro. So I got a company to sponsor that chair to me, which was brilliant. So we were well on our way. Um, we ended up doing trim 10 mile. Then we done Bowman half marathon. And 
the the reception Alana got was just incredible, absolutely incredible. You know, and say as a parent, putting your child out there um, is tough. Putting your child, your family, child with special needs especially, do you know what I mean? You don't know what sort of reception you're going to get. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Um, so you sort of, you're trying to put it out slowly, but at the end of the day, we didn't really have time to sort of ease it in. Um, but look, the running community and the community of Nav and Mead was absolutely unbelievable. Um, they just took Alana in straight away. I, I don't know. I always ask what, what it was, but I don't know if it was her smile, her eyes, or just, I don't know. I, I really don't know, but it was just, she was just infectious. You know, you couldn't walk by her and not talk to her or say hello or, you know, have a joke with her. Because um, she'd always sort of try to, try to see who it was. Um, so we ended up doing, I ran my first marathon in the June before we done Dublin City Marathon because I was in the frame of mind of going, I want to make sure I can run a marathon first <laughs> before I go pushing the chair. Yeah. So I done that actually in Port Dublin Forest Park in the June and I came first in that and I think it done three hours twenty five. So it was just one of those days that none of the quicker runners turned up, do you know that way? Um so I was happy, very, very happy with that and it gave me a great boost of confidence going to Dublin. But again, you sort of still had to be very, very careful pacing-wise, didn't go out too fast. And because once you hit mile 20, that's when your race actually starts. So with, with the Dublin City Marathon coming up, we actually hit our target of 75,000 euro we raised for the bus. Yeah. So again, that was another weight off my shoulders and another reason that, you know, that I could push on and that boost as well, you know, from the marathon I'd done and then the boost of being raising all that money, it was just, everything was going towards us, you know what I mean? And we're just going, this is, this is why we done what we done. This is why we struggled so much in the earlier years to get Lana to this point that everything was falling into place. Our house was being done, you know what I mean? It was just, life was just starting to come together. So we went to Dublin City Marathon and I've never trained so much in my life for anything. Like I give up smoking, I give up drinking to do to do this because when I was doing it, I was all in. And since that since that day, everything I've done since I was all I'm all in. Um, if I decide I'm going to do it, I train one hundred percent for it. Um, so I knew going to start line in Dublin that I, there was no question I wasn't going to finish it. It was just a matter of what time I was going to finish it in. But also enjoy the experience with with Alana and the crowds around Dublin because if you ever ran Dublin City Marathon the crowds are unreal unreal and they say it's one of the best supported marathons in the world um, so we went to Dublin City Marathon we ended up doing 3 hours 21 minutes and 47 seconds yeah I was saying to myself if I do if I do 3.30 I'd be happy yeah. you know but just again in the day it was just it was an unbelievable day like and as I said, like the confidence, full of confidence, but you need to be very careful being overconfident um, because they can go completely against you. Done that, um, and then two months later, we moved back into a house then the 1st of December in 2017, and Lana passed away on the 13th. Her birthday was on the 4th of December, so she turned eight on the 4th of December, and she died on the 13th of December. Um, very, very tough time for us. Um, 
you know, like I put Alana to bed that night and I got out of the bed and went up to my own bed about half two in the morning and I came down in the morning and I found her in the bed before I went out to work. I had to look at Ruth trying to resuscitate her on the, the floor in the kitchen and then basically our house was swarmed with ambulance, police. Absolute, 100% nightmare, yeah, you know, even now when you hear of a child dying or being killed, you know, it brings me right back to that day, yeah, like that exact day, you get that feeling all over again, um, because, you know, you know what them parents are going to go through, and not even at the time, but even months and years to come, it's, it's just going to be raw. So we got over, we got over that, like the, the, the days, the days after I was just a complete blur, you know, Alana's funeral was, was absolutely massive, but it was like, to be honest, it was like a, it was a testament to the person that she was and the girl that she was, you know what I mean, that hundreds and hundreds of people came out to, came out to, to see her off, you know, but it's just, it's, no parent should ever have to go through anything like that, you know, none. Even one thing I suppose for you is like initially at the start of all this like you got hit with the worst news possible is to bury one child and then obviously you had Lana here and then to get that news on top of that and but like a lot of people when they get that news they like they wouldn't know what to do or they wouldn't know how to react and it seemed from what you done you gave her the best life possible like from what you're saying there like she was happy she was smiling for some people i suppose they go through and they'd feel like why were why was this chosen for them why is this happening why is this happening to us and they have a very negative i suppose reaction to it but from even what you are saying from what you have done you have just i suppose taken the opposite and given her as unfortunate as short of a life as she had it sounded incredible from what she's done what she's achieved like i don't think any eight-year-old can say they were being in the marin like it's incredible like i suppose what why do you think you went down that line or what made you have that reaction it's funny it's funny you should say that because um when isabel died and alana was diagnosed with cp you do get that why us what did we do so wrong in life you know you uh, that whole emotion comes over you going why 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 was this done to us but like we had we had two older kids at home um faith and reardon and we we basically had to go home to tell them that we weren't bringing two babies home we we're only bringing one to have to tell them that is heartbreaking but i think we sort of realized that these were kids we had to be strong for them because they relied on us if they seen us falling apart that was going to have a knock-on effect on them as well. So myself and Ruth actually, myself and Ruth made that decision in the hospital before we left that this wasn't going to to break us. Do you know what I mean? We're far stronger than that, um, and we had to we had to stay strong for the other two kids. But uh, as I was saying already, as we went on and we started running with Alana, Alana started to become more comfortable. She she was sleeping, started to sleep at night. You know. She was happy. This is when you start getting into, this is why us, this is why this was given, because we can provide this for her. You know, and when Alana died, then you're back to, why us? Do you know what I mean? Why did this happen again? Um, and that's very, very hard to take. Um, but again, there was so much hard work done 
with Alana when Alana was alive that we couldn't let her legacy go because there's so many people that uh, that actually looked up to Alana now I know it's just strange saying they looked up to an eight-year-old girl but she just had that aura about her she she inspired so many people like if Alana went with the life that she was given she wouldn't have done anything now that you could say that was down to family and friends and everything that got her to that point but at the end of the day she it's like she wanted to do that as well like she gave this life to us um and like we were talking just beforehand like that she gave this life this is the life that she gave to us and we weren't going to let it go so and this is why her her death could consume you you could end up in a really really dark place like after she died about a year after like i found myself walking the streets at all hours of night walking out to the grave at two and three in the morning and sitting out there um and coming home and having a few cans and it wasn't healthy it wasn't right you know but i was able to see that um even my, my parents now and my brother now would say to me like keith we don't know what to say to you do you know what i mean and i just my reply would be i don't know what to say you know um there's nothing you can really say but there's a lot i suppose you can show from it like. absolutely absolutely yeah so our plan then was to say, right, so we set up um, Alana's Memorial Run, so the first one in uh, 2018, um, in, I think it was July 2018. So the, the decision was made then to hand over the bus to the Meadows uh, on the same day. So this, to set this up was just un- stressful, very stressful, but um, we had 1,200 or 1,300 people up in uh up that day that morning um to hand over the bus and it was just it was absolutely incredible um you know it was it was so emotional such an emotional day um as well anywhere we went like alan was given t-shirts and stuff like this and we had all our t-shirts hung up on the the start line gantry and the finish line gantry so i think all the little things that were done on the day sort of added to the atmosphere um, but it was just I don't think it was a dry eye in the, in, on that day when we were handing over the bus it was just it was absolutely incredible um, but to see that reaction as well it sort of spurred us on then to keep doing what what basically as I said the life that Lana gave us to do and like I never thought that I'd be fundraising for as much as we have done like today I think we've fundraised nearly 200,000 euro now that's for ourselves was about 80,000 and then so when you talk nearly 120,000 for different different things like um like we have done we fundraised for the bus we have sent we sent two families to Euro Disney there recently which we have to get out as well and we've also supplied equipment to other kids with disabilities uh seizure mat to one family um massive thing like i don't know if we if i would have had one would have may have a different effect on, on what happened to us i don't know but we're not going to dwell on it and um, we also supplied a car seat for another family in america their child has a, a very rare nervous system and couldn't get in and out of the car so we supplied we covered the balance of what they'd fundraised already and i think we ended up giving them about a thousand euro towards the car seat and you know, like when we were in that position, looking for equipment and stuff like that, we were, um, you know, you're grateful for all the help you get, you know. And 
I don't want people to say, oh, thanks very much. I'll keep like gratitude. I don't do it for self gratification whatsoever. I just know the position that these people are in, and I want to help. And I want I'd love to help everybody. Unfortunately, I can't. And I've said this to the committee that we have. We have a committee of five people in with within Team Milana, and we sort of between us all, we sort of make the decisions of who like what we do and and stuff like that, which is which is great. But you know, the the. I think the carers and families with kids with disabilities need so much more help than they're getting. You know, like Ruth became Alana's sole carer. Ruth's lost her income. She works for the health board, so she lost her income. Um, so our house was down half a wage. Do you know what I mean? Coming into the house. And I know other families are the same. So you're, it's like you're penalised for having a child with disabilities. Um, so I think like something has to be done there, but I'm sure. Look, we're not going to get sorted out on this today. Like, um, but going back to what we are doing, so to keep, basically to keep Alana's legacy going, and I think, for my own sanity, um, because I was out walking all hours at night, I had to, I had to just get out of that dark, dark place. For you, like even with that, like when someone's in that situation, it's very hard to think logically. And like you don't even you're not even aware maybe of some things that's going on around you. Your your head's just not in the right frame of mind, obviously. But for you, how did you finally got out of that dark place? Obviously, before that, Lana was your driving force. That like right, let's give her the best life possible. What do you think was your driving force after that then to get out of that dark hole you're in? I think, yeah, as you say, Lana was my driving force, and. Uh, I remember having AC as well, and the love and support that we got, my family got from them. And I'd say, to be honest with you, I'd say that's that's basically what saved me. Like was being a member of having AC, just you know, training wise, just getting up, training people, talking to it. You know, it's not drawing attention to it or anything like that. I think it's just being a part of a club, sort of something like that you know what I mean because it's, it's very very hard to stay motivated on your own um, but yeah and back just training I think training was a major factor of your own getting into your own head and just saying it's not going to break you you know you're a lot tougher than that there's, there's as I said already when you go back to when Isabel died that you had, still had to be strong for the kids them kids were still there so we still had to be strong for them. And we also had another child after Alana, Harry, six. You know, so again, if you fall apart, they fall apart. The whole house falls apart. You know, so you're back to square one again. So then it was just a matter of setting challenges for myself, to push myself. I think you have to go outside your comfort zone. I think it's, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, tip away and do... Look, not just running, not just in the gym, but... All, all aspects of life um, and I think you just have to set goals yourself set goals within goals set a, a long term goal but also set weekly goals my goal is getting out of bed in the morning do you know what I mean um, like what I do is I, I start getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning just to set yourself up for the day get breakfast and, and you know you, you're not getting up and rushing out the door so basically your first goal is surviving the day and then you can try and progress from there a goal for a week or a goal for a month or and then your long-term goal for the whole year whether it's weight loss whether no matter what it is you have to have something like i listen to i listen to a lot of audiobooks as well and one fellow said listen david goggins ever hear of him 
unbelievable. And he talks about the accountability mirror. You know, where you just put whatever goals you want, you put that, whether it's on your wardrobe, on your bedroom door, somewhere you see that every single day. And you're reminded of it constantly, of that's my goal, I'm sticking to that. Um, So I set myself to do uh, run Dublin to Belfast. So it was 172 kilometres. Now the first I'd done was Dublin City Marathon. So it was a bit of a jump. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a jump, all right. Well, I think it works out about four marathons. Yeah. Is it? Well, I think so, but... What the hell made you think to jump from one marathon to four straight up? Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how it came about, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, I don't even know where I've seen it. And I just... I've probably seen it on Facebook, more, more than likely. And... Uh, Dublin to Belfast and I just so I get a crew together and, and go with that but it was it was it was a lot of organising because we'd, we'd get a van and load the van up and stuff like that I got a crew I had a crew of four five people a crew of five and oh, unbelievable day unbelievable day the training was tough because I had to up my my mileage so I was training I think it was about six times in six days a week but double days and stuff like that, like my longest runs, I went from running, ran a marathon on a Saturday morning to run a marathon that night. I went, ran out to, ran out to uh, Dunshockland and back, and then the next day I was up again to go run. So within 24 hours, I'd run 125 kilometers. That was the, the highest point that I got in, in the training. Um, but to set up for the day, well, oh, I was just, it was, absolutely incredible the, the support heading out the road heading out of Dublin all the way to, to Belfast was just unbelievable like people coming out to cheer me on and I got off there was one stage we were running down the canal in from Newry across the Pines Pass and I knew I knew the cla- canal run was 21 kilometres but when I went on to it I had this in my head that it was uh, 6 kilometres so I thought grand it'd be off in half an hour and I was running still 45 minutes later and I was ringing them going, I'm lost. I don't know where I am, I'm lost. Um, they were like, no, 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 you're going the right way. But at that stage, just tiredness started to set in, so you weren't thinking straight, hallucinating on that, <laughs> running down that canal as well. But when I came off the canal, there was still seven or eight people. Now, you're talking about two or three in the morning. There was still seven or eight people from Navin just out to support me, just standing there, cheering me on, you know. And that sort of, that spurred me on again. It gave you a second wind again, you know. Um got something to eat and then heading back out the road but my, my toughest point in that was when I hit 142 kilometers I pulled the van in again my head your mind my mind was starting to go against me you know and I think it was just a matter of just recoup recouping sitting down get a drink get something to eat and going again and um, I knew I had 30 kilometers to go and I was calculating as three hours and looking at me watch but every time I was I was running and it looked like I thought my watch had stopped at one stage I was I just thought it completely stopped once I got something to eat and had a chat with the crew, they done their job fantastically well, you know, they took a lot of shit off me, <laughs> but uh, they fed me and water. But once, when, when the time came that their job was really had to kick in, as in keeping me motivated, keep me going, they were, they were unbelievable. And they got me through, through that point. Um, but previous, before that, I had, I had gone up to Belfast 
and I ran the last 10 kilometers. So realistically, I was looking, I have 20 kilometers to go to hit that point that I've been visualizing in training. Once I get there, I knew I was home and dry, like, and just running up through the streets of Belfast was absolutely unreal at six in the morning. But uh, yeah, I'd done that in 18 hours and 20 minutes, so we finished third overall. Um, so, <laughs> and as I said to you before, like, you know, people should celebrate their achievements, and I, like, I should take, <laughs> I should <laughs> take my own words, but I don't. Like I did, obviously did go out for a drink after. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was still looking, right, what can I do next? What can I do next? Um, so I was sitting outside, I was sitting outside the local shop centre on the, the Commons Road and just scrolling through Facebook again and I came across Energy of 24. <laughs> so it was, and it was, it was the last one of it. So yeah. I said, geez, I couldn't let that go by. <laughs> so... The Dublin Belfast was in March, and I think the energy of 24 was coming up on June, the end of June. So it was giving me like three months to, to prepare to, to, for that. Describe what the energy race actually is like. The energy of 24 is, uh, so it's up in Victoria Park in Belfast, and it's uh, one mile loops for 24 hours. So you're talking, there was 264 individual runners and then it was 36 teams of four. So obviously, I went individual. <laughs> um, so basically, it was 24 hours, stop as much as you want. But the more you stop, the more, the more laps you lost, you know. So the more you keep running, the more, time, the more distance you clock up. So training for that was just, it was basically just to progress on what I was doing. I had 172 kilometers done previous. So it was a matter of just try to get back in and just try and, and get in the miles by keeping the legs going. Um, so in the middle of that, I just decided I'd do Cork City Marathon as a, a training run. So I went down to Cork, and during that week, I was sort of going, oh, I could probably go for three hours here. Now, I hadn't trained for a three-hour marathon, but I had the miles done. So I just decided probably a couple of days beforehand that I'd, I'd chance a three-hour, go, go sub-three-hour. At least if, if I gassed out I was running on tired legs so yeah. it was going to benefit me for running in Belfast anyway so either way hopefully <laughs> this was the plan <laughs> that it was going to benefit me um, so I ended, I went down there anyway, and I, I done 2 hours 57 and 7 seconds so I think I finished third in my age category overall 26th overall yeah so I was delighted with that and again massive boost of confidence coming up to, to energy but with, with energy coming up I, I had no idea what distance I was looking for or what to, expect. what to expect. You know, it was my first one doing this. And again, I said, right, I'm doing it for charity. Well, I'm doing it for, for our charity team, Alana. So I think, I think we raised probably about 15,000 euro doing that, doing with Dublin to Belfast, doing energy. I think we ended up about 15,000 euro or nearly 20,000 euro to, yeah. Um, like all, all these things sort of go around in your head as well. Like, People are people are coming out to support you, to donate money to you, because they like what you're doing. But they also want to see, basically want to see an end product. You know what I mean? And and this is what we try to do. That people that donate, they see, they get to see what we do. Like say that bus is driving around Navin, it's driving all around me. You know, I get texts off people, pictures of the bus going, oh, I've seen the bus in, you know, up in Slane or in Drogheda or wherever it was. You know what I mean? Which is it's so fulfilling. It's it's just unbelievable feeling. 
and to, to have that. So going down to Gia 24, you know, you've all this going around in your head that doing all this is, it's helping people, it's helping kids, it's helping families. From what you're saying there, like, it's, it's your driving force and it's your real motivation. Like, some people get into, let's say, a marathon, but a lot of people obviously won't finish it. And for people who are doing it, I find, like, for a deeper reason is why they can get past these insane crazy points, like, or do these crazy stuff, like, run around for 24 hours. Um, like, I know it's not half of what you do, but I remember doing Gale Force last year, and... This is going to take, this is like a warm up for you. But uh, I remember even doing that last year. And the only, I remember I was climbing at Mount Ergel and the legs were just giving in. Calves were seizing up, quads were seizing up. And I remember the only thing I, I just the talk came into my head like, right, why the fuck am I doing this? And the talk came in like, right, back to my uncle. I, and I was back to the reason why I was doing it. There was people supporting. I was raising charity, raising money for a house for the charity. And that was the reason why and I think that was the main thing that always kept me. I was like, it was like this new sense of energy just came in and I was just like, boof, and I was gone. And I think that's probably what you find as well, would you? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're going to do some of these insane things, like you have to, you have, to have your motivation. You have to know why. firsthand why, yeah. Why am I doing this? Because like your body is going to go through like hell absolute hell like you know it's it's just ridiculous how much pain you put your body through but i focus on the fact that with the amount of emotional and pain that we've endured no amount of physical pain is ever going to come close to that and i remember i i was exact same as well it was like uh, i remember running i remember thinking that saying to myself as well like oh my legs are so sore and i was like dang got the fuck on like with the, you're a pain in your legs imagine the pain people feel in their head and think of how they feel so i suppose the same way there as well yeah absolutely um you know it's just it's 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 crazy um and like anybody asks me anybody now that says to me like oh what was energy 24 it's it's grueling like i walked i walked at 12 o'clock at night like this started at 12 o'clock in the day at 12 o'clock at night i hit a wall and i just walked by everyone all me me my crew walked by them dropped in the tent and i says wake me up in 10 minutes um, I got up in 10 minutes, had something to drink. I was struggling to keep down food. Um, I started vomiting. So it was just my water intake and salts and stuff like that that I had to work on. But you're not going to do that just for yourself. You're not going to put your body through that just for yourself. Do you know what I mean? You have to have a far, far better reason or why or inspiration or whatever it is to get you over that finish line because I was looking, I have another 12 hours. I'm only halfway you know, so I have to do all that again, so what is, what is keeping me going, and people from Navin coming up to Belfast, to stand there at two and three in the morning, to cheer me on, do you know what I mean, like people don't do that, just, oh sure look, we go out and have a look, you know what I mean, they come out because they want to support you, and I, I ended up having to do a bit of, like run a lap, walk a lap, um, just struggling really, really badly, and then the last hour, I just ended up running and I just kept running because I was afraid to stop. Um, um, but it was just to really build up the miles because I, I had then set a target, like sort of through the night, falling asleep, running. So you're sort of trying to keep yourself. What was that like? That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. It's, uh, 
I was going to say it's like walking home from the pub drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was it was crazy. You know, you don't actually realise until you start veering over to the side. So you try to wake yourself up. So you try to keep yourself motivated. Like, like I tried to listen to an audio book and it just ended up, whatever part of the audio book it came on, it was talking about bed. And I was like, I have to take oh, turn yeah. that off. <laughs> so I ended up just putting music back on. And I just... It was just to try and keep thinking stuff over around your head, right? Why am I doing this? You know, talking to yourself. People think you're crazy. Like, you know, and people, like, even now, I think people think I'm cracked altogether. You know, like, uh, where am I running this time? Or where am I running the land of Ireland yet? Or, you know, but like, as I said, like, I go back to when I was playing football. I had no commitment whatsoever. And now, because of Alana, my, my whole commitment thing has flipped. 100%. You know, like, <laughs> my, my wife wants to go out and I know I'm running tomorrow or I'm running on Sunday so I can't go out. You know what I mean? I was never like that. I was out drinking the night before a football match. Mm. You know, so, I, I suppose your your vision, what you want to do, your goals, all gears towards why you sacrifice and you sacrifice for, for, your, for your goals. And, mm. like, Look, you can set your goals. You, you only you know if you sacrifice for it, or if you don't really want to do it, you're not going to do it. If you put one hundred percent into it, nothing's going to stop you. Like I say to anybody, you can run a hundred miles. Dan, you could run a hundred miles. You just have to fucking train for it. Exactly. That's it. That's all. I couldn't like I struggled in the first ten k around with Atlanta. But I ran a hundred. I ran actually in, in energy of twenty four. Ran one hundred and thirty miles in twenty four hours, two hundred and ten kilometers. I never in my wildest dreams. Well, if you had said that to my parents or my brother, like ten years ago, or oh, Keith's wow. gonna run the odd, they would said not a fucking hope in hell, not a chance, you know. But now my father would say to me, imagine what you could have done years ago playing football. You had the ability, but you just didn't have the commitment. I go well. My life wasn't wasn't the same. Mm. Completely different, like mm. you know. But you need that. You need that something to keep you going, to motivate you, to get to that point. And everybody has that something. Everybody. No like no person's life goes without tragedy. Mm. You know what I mean? Even all the fairy tales have a tragedy in them. Mm. Just pity ours was the girl that made my life now was effectively the tragedy that happened to us. You know, but she has changed me, and I know for a fact she has changed hundreds of other people's lives at eight years of age. You know, a, ch- a child that was never meant to do anything. You know, she sat in a wheelchair, she couldn't talk, she couldn't walk, she couldn't use her hands. She had to, she was peg fed. She smiled, and she laughed, and she screamed, and she took fucking a whole nation into her heart, like, and they took her. You know, for a parent, that's, that's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. It's something you can't say. Not many people can no. say No. You know. Like, eight years of age and she left just a legacy. Like, you know. So, as I said, like, I just have to, I, I just embrace that. And this is why I keep pushing myself. And I suppose I want to I just keep testing myself, keep stepping out of my comfort zone and keep doing stuff, not to the point of killing myself, but point, to the point of Right, that's that's as far as I can push myself. Like next year now, I have Maradon de Sable. It's uh, two hundred and fifty kilometers across the Sahara Desert, you know. And, and that's my goal then for next year. 
Um, but within that, like I'd have different other bits and pieces. Like this this weekend, tomorrow, I'm doing um, a 10 mile race. I want to do sub 60, um, sub 60 minutes. Do you know what I mean? So that's a smaller goal within my overall goals. But as well, like down to nutrition, down to, you know, look, you eat takeaways, everybody does. You know what I mean? But moderation. But, you know, to hit these goals, you have to sacrifice so much, you know, and, and that's. It's a big sacrifice. The bigger your goals, the bigger the sacrifice. If your goals don't scare the shit out of you, it's not big enough. Simple as that, like. That's definitely one thing I find, like, with people. Like, we get to, we have a certain thing we want to do or have a certain thing we want to achieve. And we start off, the, the motivation's very high. We're really keen to do it, really eager to do it. And then the going gets tough. And then we kind of panic. We worry. We get scared and we get fearful. And we build up all these things inside of our head. And that's usually when we throw the tail. But I think you said it there, like, you've got to realise and understand without fear. If, like, if you say something, you're not thinking, shit, I can't do that. Probably a reason, good, you're not going to do it. Of course you're not. Whereas you have the mindset, like, right, this is going to be tough. It's going to challenge me. It's definitely going to be harassing and going down. I'm going to have struggles along the way, but I'm going to get there. And I think that's why even what you've achieved, obviously, to using land as a motivation, to using everything that's happened as a motivation, I think even you yourself, because even talking to you, you're saying, oh, I'm always listening to audiobooks and things like that. You're, you've probably nearly trained your brain to be nearly as strong as your body nearly, if not stronger. And I think that's probably the reason as to why you find you're able to do these things as well, would it be? Yeah, I've, uh, I think I've sort of come to the conclusion that your body will get you so far and then it's your, your head that will that'll do the rest for you. But as you say there, like, everything that's easy everyone's doing it and once you step outside your comfort zone just fuck all people doing that you know and that's why I like to go outside the normal do you know what I mean and I think it's a, it's a hell of a place to be you know like if you're following the crowd you know it's, it's, it's okay for some people that's fine that's okay if you're happy doing that that's fine but people that's looking for something different and that feeling you know the feeling of achieving something you know you have to you have to step outside you have to push outside it simple as that and that's not just in running or sport or whatever it is whatever you want to do like could be setting up business could be life whatever it is you know you step outside you'd make the jump you know you only have like what's some someone say to me you only live once but then someone else says you don't you live every single day of your life you know you get up every day there's a new day do you know what i mean doesn't matter what happened yesterday that's gone you know, you have to look for t- that day and then the following day is on and see how it goes. Like. And that's, that's my philosophy on life. Again, I suppose it's another way people do things as well. Like, like we're always looking like, like our past always usually affects either our present or our future because we either refer back to it in a positive way, which you have 100% done, or refer back to a negative way. Oh, I've done this before. I can't do that. I done. So, someone else tried that. I can't do that. Like, and it's just all these negative thoughts, negative emotions. Anything negative is going to create negative outcomes. It's it's a given. Like, um, in terms of your thoughts, anyway, for a fact. And that's why it's so important. Like you're saying, just to be focused on right. Might not be able to do it yesterday, or maybe yesterday was a shit day. I went out for a run and it was horrendous, or whatever it was. It doesn't have to be a run. But I still have tomorrow. I still have the day after that. Like, and it's it's focused on that present moment because the more you keep focusing either on the past, 
or whatever it is, you're not going to get anywhere. And I, I think it's definitely a massive point that you kind of focus in on. And like you're saying there, like obviously we don't. Everyone's not going to run the Sahara Desert for two hundred kilometers or so. As much as I'd love to be able to, maybe one day. But um, and that's why I think it's like it's looking at like where like someone's goal could be a 10k because they've never ran 10k in your life heck when you started you said that 10k was horrendous at the time and i suppose the people where people might get wrong listen is they're looking at you and they're thinking jesus how is he doing that he i could never do that but keith started off at a 10k he didn't start off running these insane stuff at the moment he started off where his comfort zone was and then he stretched further into a new comfort zone and then you just kept doing it on and on and on and on and on and I think that's where people have to realise as well is not looking at others and thinking, I could never do that. Well, of course, you're not going to go up and run a Sahara <laughs> desert in the morning. Of course, you're not. But maybe if you can only run 5 at the moment, why don't you try 10? Then why don't you try 15? Then why don't you do your first marathon? And then why don't you just build it up from there? Again, it, it, I suppose it's focusing on the longer process rather than looking at the short term. What, what do you think? Yeah, we just go back to the same point of you have a long-term goal. If your long-term goal is to do a marathon, your goals within that is going to be like a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, 10 mile. You build it up, you know, but like, it's very easy to turn around and say, oh, you know, be too nice to yourself and say, oh, poor me, I done this happened to me, that happened to me. You know, I don't, I, I don't in any way, shape or form think that I have the worst life ever because I, I don't. There's, there's people out there in hell of a lot worse situations than I've dealt with and that I'm in. Um, so I, I don't go with that of, oh, this happened in my life, that happened in my life. You know, you have to, you know, find a way around it. Find your way of coping with it. Um, I used to think I had a way of coping with it and I was out walking all hours of night and that definitely wasn't the way of coping with it. I think now I've found my way of coping with it which is sort of getting into training and, and, and doing me running and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, I still go out for a few pints, probably overindulge a few every so often. <laughs> Do you know? But like, you still have to live at the same time. But if you want your, to achieve your goals, first and foremost, get yourself to a certain point that you can say, right, I'm going for a pint or I'm going for a Chinese or I'm going for a meal, whatever. But, like, especially with a weight loss, you know, I think with around, when it comes around weight loss, some people, they start, right, I'm going to head on into this. Second weekend, it's like, so when's my cheat day? And you're going, well, get yourself to a certain point first. And then you can say, right, we can add in a cheat day or a couple of drinks or whatever it is, you know. But initially, it's fucking hard it yeah. is hard it is. you know like you put your you have to put your body through so much and your head like if you're out lifting weights you know what i mean you're not going to go out there and start lifting weights and go i oh, just i was grand and walk away you feel like you've done nothing mm. you know like i go out and run a 5k people say to me oh sure 5k is not new 10k is not new i push myself harder in a 5k or 10k it's it's different type of running like your heart rate goes through the roof. You know, you're under pressure for however long it takes. And again, when you stretch it out further to a half or a full or an ultra, you know, they're all different disciplines. And, you know, I don't go to a marathon going, I've done this before. You know, this is going to be a piece of piss. It's not, because that's when it will eat you up and spit you out. You know, you, I treat every marathon like it's my first. 
Um, I, I train and I go into it the exact same way as I did my first marathon. You know, even though I'm a lot fitter now, but head-wise, if you go in and think, this is it, piece of piss, I'll be done, it's, it's, it's not going to happen to you. It'll be the first time you ever DNF, did not finish. You know, I'd never, I'd never DNF, and I'd crawl before I have yeah. to stop. Yeah. You know, I would literally crawl before I have to stop. Yeah. And I think that's sort of my mentality, and I think a lot of people are coming around to that way of mentality of like, I'm going to get through this because once you cross that finish line, like I, I'd talk in running terms because obviously running, but once you cross that finish line, that pain stops. And I've said this to a couple of people that would say to me, oh, Keith, I want to do a one and a half hour half marathon. You're going, right, what's what you at? And they could be a minute outside it. And what's the issue? When they start getting sore, then it gets into their head. They start to slow down, you know, if you can hold out and hold out, keep, teach your body to deal with that pain for that little bit longer. Once you finish, that pain's gone. But that pride lasts forever. Exactly. You know, I suffered for about six kilometers when I done a sub three marathon in Cork. But living now, I'm a sub three hour marathon runner. You know what I mean? And not a lot of people do that. You know, like a percentage, I think it used to be 1% of the population ran a marathon. I think it's probably more now with the amount of people that are getting into running. The percentage-wise of running sub three hour is way down. Percentage-wise of someone running with a running chair is like minimal. Do you know what I mean? So they're memories that I have forever. And nothing anybody does, says, tells me I'm an arsehole, tells me this doesn't matter mm. nothing that's not going to take that away mm. so people people that say gets self-doubt into their head through what other people say you know you just have to disregard all that because your main focus is they all, all they want to do is bring you down your main focus is your goal if they turn around to you and say oh you can't do that i always said i'm not doing this to prove people wrong I am doing this to prove people that believed in me right. That's why I do this. I don't care about the people that think I can't do it. You know, I care about the people that go, yes, Keith, you can do this. And I go, I'm going to prove you right. I fucking can do this. Yeah. I, think that's a, I think that's a really good point, like you touched on there. It is one thing that, like, like you said, like about other people saying... Like doing for something for someone else. But that definitely is one thing there. Like people, a lot of time they will do it. Like someone could say something and they could take it to heart or take it like, all right, no one can't do that now because of someone. Or they try and do it to prove someone that's wrong. And you said, it, again, it's so important to focus on yourself and why you're doing it. Like like it has to be for yourself or it has to be something that's you've experienced or that you've went through, like you're using it as a positive way. Using it in a negative way to try and impress others or just say, oh, look, this is who I am, this is who I am, will you like me now? Or whatever it is, whatever we build up in our heads is definitely the wrong way to go around. And like you're saying, comparing there as well. But um, I suppose just from like what you've, I suppose a lot of people, well, me definitely, I'm fucking fired up here. <laughs> I, I want to do a marathon here after listening to you. But a lot of people listening to this will be like, we'll obviously find you as a massive inspiration. If you don't, you've got something wrong in your head. But from what you've like, what you've been through, what you've done, it's incredible. It's it's insane, and there's not a lot of people who can say that, 
that they've done that or have experienced that and came out the other side. What do you think, if you could, let's say, give one person the biggest piece of advice on anything at all, what would it be? Tough question. <laughs> this is a very tough question. And I'd say, once I walk out of here after doing the podcast, I go, damn, I should have said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, an awful, there's, an, like, there's an awful lot you could say. You know, like, don't give up. Believe in yourself. Do you know what I mean? Don't limit yourself. You know, famous David Coggan saying, you know, don't put limitations on yourself. You know, the time you put limitations on yourself, you're going to fail. You know, like there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. You know, um, you have to be confident, but don't be arrogant. You know, and I wouldn't class myself as arrogant. You know, I would have, I, I said like I would have probably verged, verged on overconfidence. And that was down, I think that was down to the level of training I was doing and how good I was feeling because I've never trained like that before. Um, so I was going to Dublin City Marathon with Alana full of confidence but I wasn't limiting myself to what I could do and even like when I decided to do Dublin to Belfast that was just way outside my comfort zone again like so that comes down to not putting that limitation going oh I'm only a marathon runner you know fuck that I can do whatever I want you know I just have to train for it um, and I think everybody it's good to have that mentality that you know if you, if, if you want something bad enough you just train for it, you know, regardless of what anybody thinks. You know, it's like people, there is going to be people that are going, you can't do this, you can't do that. Watch me. That's it. Definitely probably one of the best points I could give, so don't worry, I don't think you'll have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, it is one thing we do, it is limitations. We always give ourselves limitations. Uh, like, if we do achieve something, which is great, but you set yourself further, like, there's a lot more in you than you think. I think that's one thing we definitely, I suppose, like you said, have to realise and focus in on. But that is all for today. So, again, t- big thank you for Keith coming down and um, giving up his free time with all of his mad running. He's probably going to have to take it up another time. But I'd just like, again, like thank Keith for coming down. Again, your story is incredible. I'm not even bullshitting. There should be a documentary on you or something here. Like, um, I know I'd watch it anyway. Like, just... I think what people will get out of this is going to be insane where that's starting to run, where that's starting to push yourself, where that's getting out of your head and realising, well, okay, where I am now, it's probably not that bad at all. And putting, like you said, yourself, like limitations um, and setting that bar higher than where you think you are because everyone and anyone can do it. If you can do it, you started off 10K, now you're going to Sahara Desert. Again, look at where you are and look at where you can get to and set that bar higher. So again, I'd like to thank Keith again. So Keith, thank you for coming down. Any last words you want to say or anything where any fundraisers coming up or anything you want to say, I suppose, just to finish off with. If anybody wants to just see what else I'm at, um, I'm on Facebook, Keith Russell on Facebook or Team Alana on Facebook. Um, like we do Alana's Memorial Run every year. We just had our second one there just previously. You got your... Give your t-shirt there. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I'm on Instagram as well, and we have Team Alana Instagram page. Um, I sort of I update them every so often, um, but more so my own stuff. I'm sort of trying to 
split my own stuff now from the team Milan and stuff because I think people are sick of me. <laughs> so we're looking at, um, we're going to be looking at people that want to jump on board with team Milana and do fundraising for us and um, just to get in contact with us and stuff like that. But into that now shortly, but yeah, you can just follow, follow us on whatever social media that we do. But uh, no, thanks very much for asking me in and it's uh, much appreciated. Like, you know, and I just want to thank everybody for the support we still get. Um, especially for me and my family, like, and, and the tough times that we have gone through and just keeping it on close to them as well. So thanks very much.